occurs Where things would change And maybe they'd take up The cross fire again The valley of grace Never was the same After he had died The love that refines Tina Horton, the Love and Freedom Toxic Relationship Recovery Coach. And today we're doing the masquerade party of lying prophets, false intentions, and disguises part four. And our subtitle for this one is four things that happen when you avoid responsibility. Again, four things that happens when you avoid responsibility. So first of all, I'm going to give you an introduction on responsibility. Then secondly, we're going to look into some scriptures. I'm going to read those and do a little bit of interpretation slash commentary. And then right after that, we're going to go into the four points, which are pretty quick. The reading is a little bit longer than usual, but I want to make sure that you guys are able to uh, absorb the whole situation that went on. Okay. All righty. So first of all, I want to start by asking you guys, what is responsibility? Responsibility is our ability to respond. And the word ability has the word able in there, right? Whether some can be done or not, right? And then you got response has the word respond inside of it, right? And what are we responding to? What are we being responsible for? The emotional, mental, physical, spiritual, intellectual, social, financial, etc. issues and needs of life. And so what I want you to think about what affects our need to respond in the first place. And that can be a lot of things. And I know one of the things that affects our need uh, to respond would be what I call ASP. And ASP stands for avoidance self-sabotage and procrastination but even though i call it asp it happens in pass and pass is procrastination avoidance and self-sabotage it happens in that order because what happens is first we procrastinate and then we procrastinate so long till it turning into us avoiding that thing and then we avoid it for so long that it turns into us self-sabotaging and when you self-sabotage basically it's either you are avoiding doing a task that's going to be um congruent with your goals your, so that's incongruency right there's incongruency between the task uh between <laughs> your behavior and your end goal right and so you're either avoiding doing that task or what you're doing is a series of other tasks in place of the task at hand. So both of those are instances of self-sabotage, okay? But either way it goes, you're self-sabotaging when your behaviors are not lining up to the end goal that you need, right? That end result or ending goal, okay? And so 
Uh, you might think to yourself, well, why would somebody want to self-sabotage? Why would somebody sabotage their situation? When we are uh, self-sabotaging, it's if you ask yourself that or you ask someone else about self-sabotaging, it's usually not a case where we're intentionally doing it. You understand what I'm saying? So what happens usually is it's not a, a person's initial reaction about anything. This is something that nine times out of 10 has gone on for a particular uh, period of time. And so what happens is that we start off with self-sabotaging for a season, right? And then that season turns into cycles. And then those cycles turns into lifestyle. You see what I'm saying? And so what we, uh, when we're irresponsible in those areas that we're irresponsible in, what happens is it could cause job loss financial devastation, relationship loss, um, our whole home because of knowing we needed to clean up the basement or whatever needs to be cleaned up after a flood and then the mold sets in. So then you can end up having a uh, home loss in that case, right? And then also it can lead to you being treated as a doormat if you are in a relationship with someone that um, is narcissistic. If you've got a narcissistic partner, you're probably uh, been people pleasing and that type of thing as far as the trauma response goes. And that's that fond response. And the fond response is also known as the please appease fond. Uh, <laughs> please appease response. I get tongue tied on that. So fond is also known as the please appease response. Okay. And so, like I said, when you are in that narcissistic abuse cycle, what happens is you end up having lack of boundaries, right? And this could go on for years and years leading to doormat treatment. And then the next thing you know, that becomes lack of boundaries and people pleasing. That's your lifestyle pretty much, okay? And so uh, before we go into our four points for uh, the four things that happen when you avoid responsibility, I want to read the back, uh, background scripture Reading this background scripture is just so important. It's going to help you to understand. So if you can bear with me while I read them, they're a little bit longer than usual, but I feel that it's necessary for you to get the whole picture of what went down in this particular situation when we opened up this door at the masquerade party, okay? So in the first set of scriptures, I'm going to read from Genesis 27, and I'm going to start at the eighth verse. And I'm going to read down to the 17th verse, okay? Now, my son, listen to me and do what I tell you. Go to the flock and bring me two choice goats, and I will make them into a delicious meal for your father, the kind he loves. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. Jacob answered Rebekah, his mother, look, my brother Esau is a hairy man, but I'm a man with smooth skin. Suppose my father touches me. He had a good point, didn't he? <laughs> then I will be revealed to him as a deceiver and bring a curse rather than a blessing on myself. And the thing about it is that 
he realized that this was wrong, right? But you got this grown man. He had to be at least 40 years old, okay? And I say that because it mentions that Esau married two wives and he was 40 at that time. So Jacob had to at least be 40 years old when this happened. You got a grown man doing this, okay? Which shows you the influence that his mother had to have had, right? And so then it says, I'm picking back up. His mother said to him, your curse be on me, my son. Just obey me and go get them for me. And a lot of times we like to so harp on the scripture says to uh, honor your mother and father that your days may be long upon the earth. Whether it's our parents or our spouses or partners, significant others, children, friends, it don't matter who it is. If we are told to do something that's outside of the will of God, parents or not, uh, that's not being honorable. If we're doing something that we know that's outside of God's will, that's being foolish. But Satan has our minds deceived uh, into thinking all kinds of things as far as being honorable to our parents. And then we kind of take those things and we pass them down, right? So it says, so he went and got the goats and brought them to his mother. And his mother made the delicious food his father loved. Then Rebecca took the best clothes of her son Esau, older son Esau rather, which were in the house and had her younger son Jacob wear them. He put the skins of the young goats, she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. Then she handed the delicious food and the bread she had made to her son Jacob. Okay, so that's the first part of the reading. And then this is going to be, uh, we got a second part coming up. And like I said, just bear with me because we're going somewhere with this, okay? And now I'm reading Genesis 37 and I'm starting at the 25th verse. They sat down to eat a meal and when they looked up, there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying aromatic gum, balsam and resin going down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. Now what uh, made me <laughs> kind of trip on that is that it says they sat down to eat a meal. They sat down to eat a meal. And when they looked up, there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. So think about it. Joseph's in this pit. And you know, when you're in a pit, you're dealing with fear. You're dealing with stress. You're dealing with anxiety. You're dealing with uh, one of four trauma responses. They are actually sitting there eating. And a lot of times we look at scripture and we like to make it seem prettier than what it was. They're sitting there eating, right? Because they were going to kill him, but they're sitting there eating and he's down in the pit dealing with all of this stuff going, all this emotional stuff while they're sitting there nice and relaxed eating, right? This is premeditated murder that they're planning on doing, but they're sitting, they're able to eat. <laughs> I just want to point that out, right? Okay, so back to the text. Judah said to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. 
and not lay a hand on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers agreed. When Midianite traders passed by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took Joseph to Egypt. And when I look at that 20 pieces of silver, I think about the 30 pieces of silver that Jesus was sold for. 20 pieces of silver was nothing. So that really showed, I mean, Judah wanted to have a gain. You know, he wanted them to have some type of gain, you know, out of doing this. But at the same time, it's like they didn't even get anything for it, really. 20 pieces of silver, just like what uh, Judas Iscariot, uh, he got 30 pieces of silver for Jesus. Okay. So anyways, let's keep going. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy is gone. What am I going to do? So they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a male goat, and dipped the robe in its blood. They sent the robe of many colors to their father and said, we found this. Examine it. Is it your son's robe or not? Now, this was definitely some deception going on there. Deception, false intentions, right? And disguises. Then they did all of that, <laughs> right? And then sent the robe to him. They said he sent it. They didn't say they took it to him. They said he sent it. So it must have been a messenger that sent the robe to him. You see what I'm saying? So they're setting it up so he can come up with his own conclusion as far as what had happened to Joseph, rather than having to admit what they had done. Okay. And then it says, his father recognized it. It is my son's robe, he said. A vicious animal has devoured him. Joseph has been torn to pieces. Then jo Jacob tore his clothes put sackcloth around his waist and mourned for his sons many days. And I thought it was interesting that he put, took the sackcloth, he put it around his waist. A lot of times in scripture, it'll say that the person, wore their entire body, they had sackcloth on. But with this case, this situation, he put the sackcloth around his waist to mourn. All his sons and daughters tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. So he was really hurt. And remember, this was his favorite son by his favorite wife, Rachel. Okay. No, he said, I will go down to show to my son mourning and his father wept for him. So he was basically like saying, this is no comfort to me. I'm just going to grieve this until my death when he said, go down to show. Okay. So now what I want to do, I want to uh, get to uh, the last part of the scripture. And this part of scripture is a pivotal moment in today's lesson, right? The four things that happen when you avoid responsibility. <laughs> so listen in. Is I'm reading from Genesis 38. At that time, Judah left his brothers. And remember, Judah is Jacob's son. And Judah means praise, ironically. <laughs> At that time, Judah left his brothers and settled near a Dulamite named Hiram. There Judah saw the daughter of a Canaanite named Shua. He took her as a wife and slept with her. So I want you to notice three things, okay? He saw her, he took her, he slept with her. That sounds like a soul tie door to me, right? Whenever we've got some lust going on in our heart, lust usually starts from what? What we see with our eyes, right? Like the scripture talks about the lust of the flesh, right? So he saw her, then he took her 
as his wife and then he slept with her, right? That's nothing but a soul tie, though. That was lust. That was no love. <laughs> you just saw somebody all of a sudden. And I'm not saying that there's no love in first sight situations. However, I'm just reading what the scriptures say. He saw, he took, and slept with her, right? That's a soul tie, though. Okay, so then it says she conceived and gave birth to a son. And he named him Ur. So that's son number one. She conceived again. Gave birth to a son and named him Onan. Okay, so Onan is son number two. Okay, and then it says she gave birth to another son and named him Shelah. Okay, so that's the baby. It was at Chizib that she gave birth to him. Judah got a wife for her. Okay, so that means he got a wife for that firstborn, right? And her name was Tamar. Now, Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord. Hmm. And the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, sleep with your father's wife. Perform your duty as her brother-in-law, right? As your brother's wife, right? Uh, brother-in-law and produce offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he released his semen on the ground so that he would not produce offspring for his brother. And that was some tricky stuff, right? Very deceitful. What he did was evil in the sight of the Lord. So he put him to death also. So the Lord put her to death and then the Lord put Onan to death. So you got two brothers. There's only one son that's left. <laughs> one son that's left. Okay, let's see what happens. And then Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, remain a widow in your father's house until my son, Shelah, grows up. For he thought he might die too like his brothers. <laughs> so Tamar went to live in her father's house. Isn't that funny how he still didn't catch on? He didn't catch uh, what Judah was thinking is that this is all Tamar's fault. <laughs> He's not even taking the time to look at his own history and the history of what his sons have inherited. Okay. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua died. When Judah had finished mourning, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers. Tamar was told your father-in-law was going up to Timnah Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's clothes, veiled her face, covered herself, and sat at the entrance <laughs> to Enam, which is on the way to Timnah. For she saw that she thought, <laughs> though Shelah had grown up, she had not been given to him as a what? as a wife. And when Judah saw that she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face, he went over to her and said, come, let me sleep with you. <laughs> for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. Now, this is really messy, isn't it? Can you imagine this, this whole scene? She's covered up. She got a veil over her face. Her whole body is probably covered up a certain way. And he thinking that this is just any woman. <laughs> but this tells you a lot about him as well, right? Okay, she said, what will you give me for sleeping <laughs> with me? <laughs> I will send you a young goat from the flock, he replied. But she said, only if you leave something with me 
until you send it. She was real slick, wasn't she? <laughs> what should I give you, he asked. She answered, your signet ring, your cord, and the staff in your hand. You notice how that's very specific. If somebody said, what should I give you? A lot of times it takes a while for you to even think of like, what would be the payment for something like this? But she had three specific things involved to tell you that she wasn't playing around. She knew what she was going to need, although this was sinful. <laughs> okay, so back to the story. So he gave them to her and slept with her and she became pregnant by him. She got up and left, then removed her veil and put her widow's clothes back on. <laughs> when Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, in order to get back the items he had left with the woman, he could not find her. He asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who was beside the road at Enam? There has been no cult prostitute here, they answered. So the Dulamite returned to Judah saying, I couldn't find her. And besides all the men said, there has been no cult prostitute here. Judah replied, let her keep the items for herself. Otherwise we will become a laughing stock. After all, I did send this young goat, but you couldn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told your daughter-in-law Tamar has been acting like a prostitute. And now she is pregnant. Bring her out, Judah said, and let her be burned to death. As she was being brought out, she sent her father-in-law this message. I am pregnant by the man to whom these items belong. And she added, examine those whose signet ring cord and staff are these. And I hope that you're thinking about this as I'm <laughs> reading it. Does this sound familiar, right? Judah recognized them and said, she is more in the right than I since I did not give her to my son, Shelah, and he did not know her intimately again. That means that the one time it happened, that was it. <laughs> it was game over for him, right? Once he found out who she was. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twins in her womb. And remember, Rebecca had twins. And remember, this is also generational because are, <laughs> these are Judah's twins, right? And the thing about it is, uh, Jacob was Judah's father. Okay. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twins in her room. And as she was giving birth, one of them put out her out his hand. And the midwife took it and tied a scarlet thread around it, <laughs> announcing this one came out first. But then he pulled back. Out came his brother. And she said, what a breakout you have made for yourself. So he was named Perez. Then his brother who had the scarlet thread tied to his hand, came out and was named Zira. Okay. And yes, it was a lot of reading. I want to make sure I gave you the whole background story so that everything will make sense as I give you the points, okay? Instead of going through and paraphrasing a lot of scripture. Okay. So now we're at point number one. The first thing, right? We're, we're talking about four things that happen when you avoid responsibility. So point number one is that unresolved trauma will resurface. Unresolved trauma will resurface. Judah ironically means praise. Him and his brothers decide to kill a goat and dip it in blood to show to Jacob. 
and allow him to come to his own conclusions as far as what happened to Joseph, right? And of course, Jacob came to that conclusion that he had been indeed killed by a wild animal. And we know that that's not what happened. We know that he was sold to the Ishmaelites slash Midianites, but they did what they did to allow him, right, with false intentions to allow him to come up with their with his own conclusion, right? That way they can probably feel like, we, you know, we're guiltless in this whole thing. He came up with it, and so we just going to flow with it. They knew he was going to come up with that. Who would, right, about their child? Okay, and then the fact that the whole thing was premeditated, right? And you got to think about it, too. When they gave him this robe, that robe had to have smelled. Think about it. Animal blood. Even if it's human blood, that robe had to have smelled. And I think about one time uh, I was outside in the uh, front yard and my son and I were out there maybe doing some yard work. I think it was, you know, and uh, he said, man, goodness. And I'm like, what's going on? He said, man, it smelled like something dead out here. So I walked out there, looked around and I said, oh, my goodness, I see what you mean. He said, like something and died. And then we both came to the conclusion that we think a coyote had probably eaten a rabbit or something. Something They had probably killed something out there and eaten it. But it smelled so foul out there. It was no mistaking that there was animal blood out there, right? So when you think about it, it had to smell. This robe that was sent to Jacob had to smell pretty bad, right? And just like Joseph's brothers presented the robe via messenger, right, to their dad, Tamar presented Judah's three things that she asked for, those three specific things, right? She asked for that cord. She asked for the signet ring, right? And she asked for his staff. So she presented those three things. And when she presented those three things, it was the same equivalent, right? So she presented that to Judah and he was part of the uh, malicious plot with his brothers, right? The rest of Joseph's brothers to present the, uh, the robe to Jacob, right? And tricking them and thinking that Joseph was killed, okay? So I just wanted you to notice that... Uh, those similarities rather. Okay. And then the other thing that's kind of ironic about this unresolved trauma, go back to the story that I read to you involving, uh, Jacob and Esau and Rebecca. And you see where Rebecca had Jacob to get what? Two goats, those two, uh, young goats. And the, <laughs> those two young goats were used to deceive Isaac. And that's Jacob and Esau's father. So we got all of these goats going on. We got all of this goat blood being shed, right? And we got all of these disguises going on. And then I want you to look at the fact that Judah, Jacob's son, Judah, used a young goat as far as the uh, payment was concerned to Tamar, right? For her prostituting herself with him, he used a young goat as payment, but the servant could not find Tamar. Okay. So she never did get it. <laughs> she never got the payment. Right. And so, uh, think about it when you are a person who avoids responsibility, that avoidance is connected to unresolved trauma. So it's like the last time you washed the car, something happened outside. They were doing fireworks and firecrackers. And you thought that what was going on was that uh, somebody was shooting. So now you've resolved that uh, you're not going to wash the car anymore because every time you wash the car, something happens. You understand what I'm saying? So unresolved trauma will make you distort people, places, things, and ideas. 
your senses, all of your five senses will be distorted. And then those people, places, things, and ideas will be removed away from what's actually and detached, I guess I would say, from what's actually going on, if that makes sense, right? And when you have a seed of rejection, that gets triggered, abandonment gets triggered, abuse gets triggered, and instead of you doing what it is you need to do, doing the right thing, your trauma kicks in real quick, and the next thing you know, you've got this uh, tape recorder playing in your head, and you're self-sabotaging getting that task done. You know, you'll start up with, I'm not good enough, my work uh, it's not going to be complete enough or satisfactory to turn in. It doesn't appear that I'm intelligent enough, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so you will start playing the script over and over in your head. You will start playing the limiting belief script over and over, right? And self-sabotage, right? And so the thing about it is, like I said, self-sabotaging could be you avoiding doing something, doing a series of things that don't lead up to your end goal, or just avoiding doing that task altogether. Okay, so just want to make sure that that's clear. And so the second thing, the second point I want to make is that people will use your brokenness against you. Tamar wasn't crazy. You see what I'm saying? She was not crazy. She had this whole thing planned out. She knew what Judah's uh, proclivities were and she played on it. She played on it. And two wrongs don't make a right, as the old folks would say, right? God used what she did in order to preserve his line so that Jesus could come through that line right through Judah. However, that he does not condone sin. He did not condone what Tamar did, right? We know in Romans 8, 28, it says what? For all things work together for good, right? To them who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And so the thing about it is that what she did was able to be used. It still was sin. And we still have to look at it for what it was, right? And then we can look at the fact that uh, does this equal we need to take advantage of the fact of God giving us grace? Is that what that means? I want you to really think about that. Should we uh, participate in taking advantage of God's grace? No, because remember when Jesus was in the wilderness and Satan tempted him three times. And Jesus made it clear, I am not going to uh, test God. I'm not going to tempt the Lord God, right? And so some things we can do, we say, oh, we know, you know, you, girl, you know, God going to forgive you. Go on and just let it happen one time with him. That's tempting God, right? And the scripture said, what, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, right? And so, like I said, God used it. He didn't condone what Tamar did, right? Judah saw the woman, right? She was beautiful as we talked about. He saw her, he took her, right? And then what happened? He saw her, he took her, and then he entered a soul tie door. And she was also a foreign woman. Whenever there's anything that we see that we're lusting for, right? Lust for, took for, soul tie door. I always say it. So whenever we see something, we're lusting for something, right? That we see with our eyes and we take it and it has not been God ordained. It turns into a soul tie door. And the next thing you know what? He's looking for a prostitute. That goes to show he had that soul tight door. So he just grabs who? Tamar, <laughs> right? But he didn't know it was Tamar dressed up as a prostitute, right? As a cult prostitute at that, right? When we won't take responsibility for something we're supposed to do, guess what? We leave ourselves open, right? Through those familiar spirits. And then so what happens is those people that's close to us that know our brokenness and know our proclivities, et cetera, what they do, 
they use that as an opportunity to go in a roundabout way of getting what they want. Instead of waiting for you to take responsibility or they see you're avoiding it, they will use your own brokenness to get out of you what it is that you should have done in the first place, if that makes sense. <laughs> so we got to always be careful. I always say that who's in your circle, right? And so uh, the next point I want to make, this is point number three. You will always want to know what's in it for you, aka personal gain, right? <laughs> I'm going to read that again. You will always want to know what's in it for you. And remember, we're talking about the four things that happen when you avoid responsibility. You go to work. Of course, you want to be paid. You don't want to be working for free. Even the scripture says that we reap what we sow, right? It's the law of reciprocity that's in scripture. But even with all of that, there are some things in life uh, that must be done just for our own emotional, mental, spiritual, physical, intellectual, and social well-being, if for nothing else. Washing clothes, for example, ironing clothes, washing dishes, more on the line to show that you're a good, respectable labor. And I don't really care for doing the line, but I'm just saying certain things have to be done. You know, and it takes me longer to do it and I end up getting frustrated and it's cutting off and the whole thing, it just has to be done. Okay, but when we're always looking for personal gain, when we do something, we miss out on the blessing, right? And then what happens is, just like when I talk about relationships, right? And I usually use this for romantic relationships, but this can be for any relationship, even because relationships with people, places, things, and ideas all have a 5L cycle that we go through each time. And that's the same 5L cycle that I uh, teach with my coaching methodology, Freedomology. And just to refresh your memory, that 5L cycle is, it starts with love, right? And so you've got some type of, uh, you've got an attachment, one of those four attachment styles that uh, along with love, right? So there's a history of love with you doing a certain task, some kind of way, right? Even if it's a love-hate relationship, you've attached yourself to that cycle, right? That task, you attach yourself to it and love was displayed a certain kind of way, right? And then what happened is because of the way that you attached yourself to that cycle via whatever way love was shown or not, it produced, it actually set up a portal, so to speak, for Satan to come in and produce lies in regards to the love or the lack thereof in that uh, regarding that particular task. Then we moved from the lies and then Satan went on to you because you didn't stop the cycle, went on to develop limiting beliefs about doing it, completing that task, right? And then we left from the limiting beliefs and Satan got to working on you more. You had that internal struggle and then the limiting beliefs turned into you having developing uh, stress responses. One of the four stress responses, and it could be more than one in regards to this task cycle, right? And then number five, those limiting beliefs led you to come up with things where you start say start saying, just like saying, oh, well, all men are this and, and uh, all women are that. You see what I'm saying? When we start doing that, that means there's some unresolved trauma there. And so that means you start doing the same thing when it comes to tasks. Oh, computers are this. I can't stand them. Lawnmowers are this. I can't stand them. You see what I'm saying? Washing the car is this and I can't stand them. It's a lot of times this is connected to unresolved trauma. But you go through that same 5L cycle no matter what task it is that you're doing, right? And so what happens is when we are um, 
say for instance, there's somebody in need and we, instead of us just go ahead and blessing them with that, and we're just trying to figure out if, uh, when we give to them, uh, if it's something that we're going to get in return, we miss out on the blessing. If something, someone is in need, and then what we're doing is covering it up by saying that disguising it with prayer, but we're really talking about them and shaming them and degrading them to the truth, uh, to the, the rest of the tribe slash group, you missing out on your blessing. Okay. Then you got another one where you have an opportunity to serve, but you keep asking what's in it for me. You've missed the mark, right? You've become consumed with personal gain. And when you become consumed with personal gain, then you become consumed with self. And when you become consumed with yourself, then you become consumed with pride, right? That's no longer humility, right? Because you start thinking, I shouldn't have to do this. And it's also, we're walking in the flesh and we're not walking in the spirit, right? We're not picking up our cross daily and following after Jesus, right? And so we got the, the fourth and the final point for four things that happen when you avoid responsibility. You blame other people for the choices that you made. Okay. Now look at Judah. He blamed Tamar for his two sons' death. First one that died was Ur. That's the firstborn. The secondborn is Onan. So then he figured, hey, I'm not giving her Sheila. I'm not giving her the third one, right? And so he decided basically to do what his son, uh, the secondborn Onan done had done. He basically decided to follow in those same footsteps, right? He decided, okay. I'm not going to do that because I think it's her fault. Blame will have you spiritually and physically blind, right? And when you physically blind, you hold a mirror to yourself, but you don't see yourself. You see somebody else in the mirror. And that's the person that you want to blame. But as they always say, there are two sides to a pancake and we can't ignore that, right? So he enjoyed Judah, I'm not Judah, I'm sorry, Onan, and that's Judah's second born, enjoyed Tamar's blessing slash body, right? But he wasn't going to be responsible to give her an heir, right? He wasn't going to fulfill the law that had already been set over in Deuteronomy, where if uh, the male dies, his brother is supposed to take his spot so that the seed could keep being passed on. It was right over in Deuteronomy. And then you have over in Matthew, where um, the disciples had mentioned to Jesus. And over in Matthew, and they asked him where then, and I can't remember, I'm saying disciples, it might not have been disciples, I want to say it was not. He was having a discussion, and they asked him who uh, was going to marry this woman if she had, if her husband had died, then the next one died, the next one, you get all the way down to seven of them, who was going to be with, and then the woman dies, who was going to be with her, Right. They want to know, so who was going to be with her when they get to heaven? And Jesus basically was telling them, like, nobody's going to be with her because <laughs> there's not going to be any marriage in heaven. We're going to have glorified angelic bodies and we're not going to be worrying about that. And so I want to look because I don't want to uh, say the wrong thing. So it was the Sadducees that were talking to him about the resurrection when they asked him who was going to end up with this particular woman, and it wasn't going to be any of them ending up with her, right? <laughs> not one of them were going to end up with her because it's not going to be any marriage in heaven, right? And so, like I said, it's really kind of funny that you see Judah is looking at everybody but himself. He's not looking at his own sin, his deception that he played along with Joseph's, the rest of his brothers, right? He's not looking at that. He's not looking at the uh, fact that 
these three young men that he had have just been full of evil. It didn't mention a lot about the third one, but I'm quite sure, especially with him marrying, between him marrying a Canaanite woman that he saw and got soul tied with, and then his own evilness and deception that was in his heart. And like I said, the ironic part to this is that Judah's name meant praise. It means praise, right? And so uh, Onan was fine. That second son was fine with enjoying Tamar's blessing but not being responsible for it, right? Okay, and then, uh, like I said, with Judah, he had this evilness about him that came out from deception, having that uh, spirit of deception in him and that murderous spirit from what they were going to do with Joseph. And then he ends up, just so happened that he has sons with that same type of uh, evilness and intent inside of their hearts. But he blames Tamar for the death of these two sons, right? He never stopped to self-reflect. And when we don't stop and self-reflect, what happens is we keep on uh, doing what we are doing. That lifestyle that we talked about started as seasons, went to cycles, and then became a lifestyle, right? And so, um, like I said, he ended up being spiritually and physically buying both Onan, the second, <laughs> the, the second born son, physically and uh, spiritually blind. And then you got Judah as well. Because neither one of them saw their place of the, this lack of responsibility involved. And Judah just thought, I'll tell Tamar to be a widow. And then once this youngest son grew up, you know, I'll push her off by saying, just wait till he grow up and you can have him. You know, he'll, he'll have you as his wife. I'll just tell her that, but I'm not going to give him to her because of the fact she'll kill him too. But not looking at the fact that my son's issues, right? is a direct consequence of their own actions, not their wife's actions, right? Okay, but like I said, he couldn't see it, right? He couldn't see, like they say, the forest for the trees, right? And yes, you did not make your narcissistic partner uh, abuse you, degrade you, devalue you, none of that, right? Or send you through a horrific uh, narcissistic abuse cycle. You didn't, you couldn't, you, <laughs> you couldn't have, told him to do that to you, right? You couldn't have made him do that to you at all. However, the part you played is very important. The ignoring of the Holy Spirit's uh, prompting that, no, this is bad. The red flags, right? That you decided to ignore and to ignoring the fact that something was going on as far as inquiring more and taking note that something indeed was going on with his character, that there was character brokenness there. And that his bent was not towards having relationships in general, right? And then you got to take a uh, responsibility for the fact that you chose to stay on Fantasy Island and consume yourself with magical thinking, pretending like he's kissing you, holding your hands or whatever it is that you needed to have done to you in order to function in that marriage, partnership, situationship, manipulationship, whatever it was. And uh, that's the way that you were able to stay. So you have to take responsibility of the choices that you made, which led to you being in a languishing, heart sickened state, right? And having uh, emotional uh, neediness in your soul, just in a, uh, a heart sickened state is the only way I can put it, right? And the scripture says, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. It feels good. We can point the finger and say, uh, what everybody else did. Yep, you did that. Girl, let me tell you what he did. Yep, he did that too. And then he called me up and then he called me. Everything about a child of God. We can say all of that. 
But at the end of the day, it doesn't feel good when we hold the mirror up to ourselves and say, yes, he abandoned me. Yes, he walked out on us. Yes, he rejected us. You know, and I say us, I'm talking about yourself and your kids, all of that. At the end of the day, you also have to hold, be able to hold the mirror up and say, man, I actually neglected myself. I didn't have self-compassion. I abandoned myself for this individual. I didn't have self-love. I didn't give myself empathy, grace, and compassion and kindness, right? You are enough. Rebuild your family's love story garden. Reclaim your power, soul, and identity. Grab your keys and get your inheritance. Until next time, God bless.
So much, so much for me. 